the Dutch focus most their energy on Indonesia when they do get into sort of the colonial game. I don't think of Indonesia. You just don't think of Indonesia? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that was what I meant to say. I was like literally waiting for someone to pick up on the fact that I was literally just saying... I just, I just don't think I about don't it really that often. I don't think of Indonesia. <laughs> I don't think about it when we're playing Risk. So it's surprising that the Dutch were so infatuated with it when I just don't even think about it. Not Lots of spices, um, very large population. When's the last person you talked to? It was like, ah, what'd you have for dinner the other night, Pete? Well, we had some Indonesia. <laughs> Alright, welcome to the last episode of the Trilateral Troika for the year. This is Steven. I'm with the other Steven. Hi. And Ryan. I'll see you next decade. <laughs> and we're here to talk about the Great Emu War. You know, I'm having uh, deja vu here, Steve. I feel like we've talked about this I before. hate you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> we literally lost an hour of recording. <laughs> so we're starting from scratch. Again, <laughs> we're gonna try yeah. to remember all our own, all of our terrible jokes that we did the first time. Now, Steve, I, did you did you save your audio? I did not. Oh, okay. All right. So what we're gonna do is for a special fun episode, like in April, I'm gonna release an episode that's just my audio. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I, I saved my audio. It's just gonna be me. <laughs> You just you just need to take your audio from different episodes and just splice them together where it seems like you're kind of having a conversation. <laughs> take all the audio and splice it together like they did uh, Dan Carlin. They took his hardcore history and splice it together for something, but for Trump. Oh, God. Oh, my God. It was amazing. And I guess uh, Dan Carlin was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and he had no idea about it. And then he saw it. Of course, it was a goon who did it. But, uh... I guess they, they let him listen to it on the Rogan podcast. And he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so getting getting into it, um, Australia, you know, the continent had first been uh, first discovered by Europeans in 1606. The, the first the first European to sort of make landfall um, in Australia was the Dutch captain uh, Willem uh Defoe. Jean Zoom. Defoe. Yes, Willem Defoe. Um, and this was on February 26, 1606. It um, had to be the Green Goblin. <laughs> and he made landfall near present day um, Waipa, Australia. Oh, Waipa! Wait, where? <laughs> Waipa. W E I P A. And it's Dude, sort that... of in, in Queensland, Australia. So, sort of on the, um, the, the northern coast. Of Australia. Okay. Um, you sound very just tired. <laughs> Who, me? Yeah. Power through it. We gotta talk about everything again. Or unless you, wanted, unless you guys want to do it tomorrow. No. No. <laughs> I actually do can't now. do it tomorrow. We're doing yeah, it live. Do it now. I'll write it. Steve wrote it. We'll do it live! <laughs> but, um, Wipe, uh, I, was, I was just looking on the map to see where it was. Um, okay. And it is, it is on, like, the northern... Um, the northern part of the peninsula on the the west side of the peninsula. Was so? Hmm. Um, <laughs> in, in, on June 26, 1606, a, a Spanish explorer, Luis Vaz de Torres, he most likely saw Australia while, while he was sort of exploring the area around New Guinea. 
We 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 sort of get this from his his charts that he was sort of going through the strait that's there, and he noted some land, but he did not think it was part of a larger continent because it's sort of that that sharp point of Australia that pops up through the um, the the eastern uh, the northeastern part of the country. So what did he think he was looking at then? Just a random island? He thought it was just like an island that was a part of um, that was sort of by uh, New Guinea because there's a lot of islands in that area. Because um, you have to remember, north of there you have um, you have New Guinea and and all of the the surrounding islands, and then to the west of there, you know, you have Indonesia and all those islands, um, and then Malaysia and all that too. Okay. So it's an area with a lot of islands, and, and the Dutch captain as well. He didn't really seem to know it as being a sort of a, a larger continent as it was, but he does. Um, it does eventually get called uh, New Holland by the Dutch. New Holland, so inventive. Um, they never actually colonize it for for a number of reasons. Probably the fact that it's just so out of the way, and they didn't really see anything of value there, um, so they didn't bother. the The Dutch focus most of their energy on Indonesia when they do get into sort of the colonial game. I don't think of Indonesia. You just don't think of Indonesia? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that was what I meant to say. I was like literally waiting for someone to pick up on the fact that I was literally just saying. I just, I just don't think I about don't it really that often. I don't think of Indonesia. <laughs> I don't think about it unless I'm playing Risk. So it's surprising that the Dutch were so infatuated with it when I just don't even think about it. Not Lots of spices, um, very large population. When's the last person you talked to? It was like, ah, what'd you have for dinner the other night, Pete? Well, we had some Indonesian. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened. I might be the first person who said other than an Indonesian. What kind of food is Indonesia famous for? Um, You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you you wouldn't even know what to order if you went to an Indonesian restaurant. Lemur. (laughs) I I have no idea. Emu. Emu. It might be. Steve, is it emu? No, it's not emu. Ah. Fuck. Uh, But but Indonesia is one of the world's. one of the world's most populous countries. I believe it still is the world's most populous uh, Muslim country. Steve doesn't think and this about is it. How, this is how <laughs> Steve calls me dumb. <laughs> Yo, this country you don't think about, it's the most populous. One of the most populous. Well, it did, it did have a very like harsh colonial rule there to the point that when the Japanese invaded and took over, that the locals felt the Japanese were you know better than the, the Dutch. Really? Huh. That they were like, well, they're bad, but they're not as bad as the uh, as the Dutch. So we're gonna go with these guys. So, <laughs> knowing what I know about the Japanese and war crimes committed during like World War Two, yeah. how bad were the Dutch? <laughs> they were pretty bad. Uh, on on January twenty sixth, seventeen eighty eight, the British government sends a fleet of ships to colonize Australia. Um, they do this to set up a penal colony in New South Wales um, at a place called uh, Port Jackson in Sydney Cove, um, which is in today modern-day Sydney. Just, okay. you know, no opera house. Sydney is Sydney's not the capital of Australia, right? That's, um... No, okay. it's Canberra. I thought it was oh, that's right. Okay, it's Canberra? Yeah, Canberra's the capital because if you look at it on a map, it's between Sydney and Melbourne, mm-hmm. and both Sydney and Melbourne wanted the capital, so very much like the United States, they chose a place in between the two most populated cities to pick the capital. What did they want for the United States? Charleston and Boston? It was, I think it was Philadelphia and, and Richmond. 
Philadelphia, I could be wrong. Delphi and Richmond, so let's pick DC. Definitely right in the middle. So they they picked a place that was sort of in the middle of the the original thirteen colonies. Yeah, yeah. Should have been in like Makes fucking sense. Allentown, Pennsylvania. They they largely set up this colony because they don't want anyone else taking the territory because they're worried that the French or another power would move in. <laughs> yeah, as so soon they as just anybody start... else came down, they'd be like, "No, nah, fuck this, deuces, you have this." <laughs> it's like uh, literally first going come, to first serve, bro. <laughs> we peed on it. We peed all over it. You can't have it now. <laughs> <laughs> we mocked it. <laughs> Uh, back in the day, it's like the uh, that's a eternal human thing. Like back in high school, I would ask my friend for a cigarette. He'd be like, "Sure, you can have one," but I licked all of them. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Fire cleanses all. Care, dude. Ride. I'm gonna smoke one of your lick cigarettes. <laughs> and that's why you have a cough today. Uh, no, that's the, that would be the cold I got. <laughs> I just want to note as well that I do have the original failed hour of this original uh, part or first attempt at this episode um Fantastic. so i do Fantastic. have that saved so we can do a uh april fool's day me special. and steve talking with each other and then occasionally to someone who's not there well, we should, we should. <laughs> it's like that episode of lemmy all right never mind i'm gonna get way far afield here all right so the capital's in sydney <laughs> <laughs> It's it, Capybara, right? That's the capital of Capybara? Canberra. Oh, can, <laughs> Canberra. oh they settled in Sydney. All right. Yes. Um, yeah, they settled. Sydney's, like, not the, not the prettiest thing, but, yeah, we'll settle. Most of these, most of these uh, initial colonists are sent in what's referred to as uh, penal transportation, which is where they send prisoners to, to live in an area for, for a set amount of time or, or permanently as a form of punishment um, because they don't really have a prison system in Great Britain at this time. And most, uh, most serious offenders are usually executed. <laughs> um, not, not really until the modern era when we start sort of reforming the criminal justice system. The most jails and prisons really only existed um, as sort of temporary lodgings for someone before they're executed. Temporary lodgings. I like, <laughs> God damn. Like, oh my God. If you, if you look at like the Salem witch trials, like all those all those people that were in jail during the trials, they had to pay their their families essentially had to pay for them to be like fed and taken care of, and they would have to come to the jail and like take care of them like they were in the hospital. And they would also have to pay the state for um, for their time in the prison. That's a thing that still huh. happens. Uh, some of the county jails here in Florida will actually charge you to be in jail. And I don't know how it works if you can't pay when you get out or, like, when your sentence is up or however it works. But, yeah, there are definitely counties that charge you to be in the county jail. I'm sure they probably um, just just sort of, like, keep it as, like, a debt for you. Again, that if you, go fuck if you yourself. Can't like, really? Yeah, that's pretty bad. You know, they love, they love screwing over people like that. I mean, welcome to Florida, but... Um, Let's and, talk about the, uh, the world's Florida, Australia. <laughs> and and the reason why they, they start sending people to Australia um, is because um, their, their former place where they would send people was the American colonies, and they lost most of those. 
Are you uh, telling because, uh, Are you telling me that America was almost Australia? Is that what you're saying? Well, Georgia was 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 proto Australia. Oh, Georgia, Georgia. Uh, well, so nothing changed, basically. Pretty much. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and, they, uh, and there goes Georgia listeners. <laughs> yeah. No, they're well, just like, I yeah, just you're don't right. like this. You ain't gonna call right. me no Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I ain't no Australian. I'm American, you hear? Yeet, yeet. (laughs) (laughs) And and the main reason they do this is because they they have a a group of people that they don't really have anywhere to put them. They're they're sort of taking up what they have. Like, they've been reduced to taking, like, ships that are in the harbor that have been decommissioned and using those as uh, prisons. Uh, A a lot of debtors end up in places like that. It's like Rikers Island. Uh, Isn't Rikers Island just a boat, right? No, I think uh, it's an actual island. I think it's an island. I thought Rikers was a fucking gigantic boat that they just called Rikers Island. And it was it was the jail, obviously, but I thought it was just a boat. I might be wrong. It might be an artificial island, but I think it's a real island. No, oh, okay. It's not like some like Marvel Comics level like <laughs> jail, like, it's just a boat. Yeah, some super like prison in the middle of the ocean that they send like super criminals they, to. Super they Duper do Max. have Okay, I, I'm looking this up now because I wanted to know. They do have a prison barge in New York City. It's called the Vernon C. Bain Center. Bain. <laughs> Bain. It's an 800-bed jail barge. I, I, uh, I knew New York had something like that, but I think yeah. calling it Vernon C. Bain is a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. McBain. <laughs> Knock it off. McLean. <laughs> Oh, I see your bed and I raise it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Australia is Rikers Island for Britain. Got it. Go. <laughs> they're, they're they're sending all these these um, these they, these people there to sort of build up the area, you know, build up the infrastructure. Um, how many criminals did they have? Well, they they send um, throughout the eighty year period that they that they have this policy. They send one hundred sixty two thousand men and women. God, this is, the pol- this is the policy called transportation. Yes, and and the system begins to be reconsidered in the eighteen fifties because they kind of realize that it's not really deterring people as much as they'd like because they're just being sent to somewhere else. Is it and, like that episode of Cheech and Chong where it's, that's my cousin, man? He called immigration on himself. He gets a free ride to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I would if they were like, right? If you commit a crime in Britain, we're gonna send you to a nicer place called Australia. <laughs> There's no queen there, not a, not even a little one. The not weather is hot, queen. but it's not gloom and doom like here in England. I feel like... And there's plenty of, plenty of places to spin around. There's no London. Yeah, I go push an old lady down and just go for a free boat ride. What the fuck? And because of this, the last convicts are sent in 1868. During this period as well, there are uh, free colonies, which are, which are colonies settled by people, colonists who are not uh, being sent there by the British Crown as punishment. Um, but immigration to these colonies doesn't really pick up until the 1850s when there's a gold rush in Australia. Oh, boy. When was the United Here States one? Go. 17 or 18? 18, 18, 1840s. 40s? 18, uh, 49, 1849, right? yes. Okay. So there would be 29 notable uh, gold, gold rushes from, 19, or from 1851 to 1906, and over half of them occurred in, eight, in the 1850s. Shit, like, it's like the whole world discovered gold rushes at the same time. 
pretty much. I, I think mostly because mining technology and, and sort of like things had advanced to a point where the settlers would start moving into these areas that had been untapped. Mm-hmm. Okay. Australia, though, largely was considered um, uninhabited, even though the Aboriginal people had lived there for about 65,000 years um, <laughs> before Europeans had arrived. Oh, sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> the, uh, around 1788, when the first uh, British settlers arrived, their their population is believed to have ranged from 750,000 to 1 million. Holy shit, that's a lot of fucking people. What is it today? Uh, much lower. Well, you, <laughs> you don't fucking say. <laughs> that's like being like, hey, Native American population before the Pilgrims came over was right about a million Native Americans. What is it today? There's- well, they got a couple reservations. The, the total population today is 798,365 people. Indigenous uh, peoples? Indigenous? In, indigenous indigenous uh, Australians. Uh, that's not uh, It's terrible. not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's so 3.3% 3. Still... 3. of the Australian population. That's as of 2016. But they still only ostensibly off 300,000. I mean, that's not that bad. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, this is, this is also <laughs> after shit. 300 years of, uh, of history um, and, and sort of introducing a lot of like modern technology and medicine and equipment. So populations should be much higher than they were, you know. They, they shouldn't just stay static. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of this happens that the population is sort of ravaged by disease, um, violence from European colonists, and then sort of a, a cultural genocide it's done through um, an adoption program and, and boarding schools where um, young indigenous Australians are sent to these boarding schools um, where they're taught um, to sort of disown their culture, um, their native right. culture, and adopt um, sort of a, a European-Australian culture. And they also yeah. an adoption program where children are taken away from their families and given over to white families to be raised. So literal so genocide. Yes, it, yeah. it's a system of, of cultural and, and actual genocide. Like textbook definition. It, it's very similar as well, and I believe it actually is based on the model that was used in um, the United States um, and Canada um, with dealing with Native Americans and First Nations people there by the government. Oh, and dealing with uh, migrants on the southern border as well? What? Hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. Hmm? What I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't say that the United States lost children and they don't know where they're at and, well, and they've taken away migrant children and given it to Christian adoption charities. I didn't say that. Well, I'm sure you know if they could if they could come up with a place to send the Native Americans and the First Nations people, they probably would have. <laughs> too, they probably just been like, yeah, we gotta we gotta send these people back to where they're from. I'm gonna make a really tasteless <laughs> joke, but you know, you know, the minute Hitler came to power and started doing his bullshit, there were some people sitting back like. Fuck! That's what we should have done. Well, he based his he based their 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 policies like the Holocaust is very much based on um, yeah, American uh, colonial policy in the West. Really? Yeah. yeah. He he based a lot of it on seeing like how they handled um, Native Americans with like the reservation system and sort of the 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 boarding school system and stuff like that. Like he viewed that as what they're their solution would be to um, Eastern Europeans and Jews. God damn it, the United States was exporting shitty fucking culture years before we were really exporting shitty culture. The uh, the, the eugenics policies of uh, Nazi Germany were based on the eugenics policies of the United States. Oh, come on! Is there it? <laughs> really? USA. 
God damn it, guys. We gotta be best. <laughs> you need to. So, we need to be best. <laughs> um, oh my god. <laughs> During uh, <laughs> during this period, uh, most of Australia was referred to as terra nullius, uh, which is sort of a legal definition, meaning that it's land that nobody owns. Uh, so, so um, in, Indigenous Australians were not afforded sort of the landowning rights as well that Native Americans and First Nations people were, um, where there wasn't even sort of like a reservation system. Um, I, I'm not really sure why they felt that way. I'm sure it's probably because of racism. Um, <coughs> well, obviously racism. But I think it's also the fact that Aboriginals tend to be um, it, they sort of have a nomadic culture um, where they'll sort of settle in an area and then they'll move to another area, and it's always sort of in the same like traditional areas. Right. But it's like no permanent homestead. But there's no like they they don't have like a permanent like a permanent address. Okay, makes sense. Um, a- Aboriginals would not officially get rights as a protected people until 1967. That's so fucking gross. Um, and oh um, they would not get um, land rights until 1992. What? <laughs> That's disgusting. And and so all that land that they used to live on is either occupied now by European colonists, or it's considered um, crown land, which is land that's owned by the British Crown, which in turn owns Australia. Um, Australia, very much like Canada, um, they they still have the the Queen of England is still their queen. Oh, so they haven't technically like risen up and been like, "Yo, fuck you," yet. Well, they have. Uh, Elizabeth is uh, is the queen, um, and they've there there has been debate about um, becoming a republic. Um, but it's just one of those things that they've never really, um, I, I guess, felt the need to. Um, they they do have an appointed like except like sort for of, the reason uh, of, to fuck the British a representative from the crown. But well, they're also in the Commonwealth and they get a lot of stuff from the Commonwealth too. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure Australia takes more than the uh, hey, the UK from them. You know what we should do? We should rise up against the Queen, uh, uh, Jerry. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, that's where we get the toilet paper, meat, cloth, <laughs> sundries, you know. I think that's just my Irish roots kicking in where I'm like, yo, fuck the British. These people haven't risen yeah, up get yet. get out of here. You know, they're actually the British. So, like, if the British rose up against the British in Australia, wouldn't the British be fighting with themselves? Well, at this time, they're under the, the crown. Um, after they become, like, a dominion, um, they're their own country, uh, effectively. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and the the gold rushes of the 1850s, they bring in European and, and Chinese immigrants, very much like the gold rushes in America. Um, there, there's an increasing number of, of Chinese immigrants that come in, um, which very much like the United States are not too happy about. Um, they don't want um, they they don't want you know areas to be predominantly um, be predominantly Chinese. They want to keep it sort of culturally European. That's not gross um, at all. Which is which is one of the reasons why um, there was a lot of fear over California becoming a state because when California became a state, um, a majority of the population, when it gained statehood, I, I believe a majority of it was was Chinese men. Um, but those, but they weren't yeah, like, uh, like they weren't East granted voting rights. Like the horrible, abhorrent racism in East of Eden. Yeah, which I read recently and was absolutely ridiculous. Like I was sitting, I was driving to work and I almost crashed the car off the side of the road because of how fucking racist it was. I've never, uh, I've never read it. How bad is it? 
you should read it because it's a good book, but it's also kind of uh, just, you know, of the times. I looked it up. Steinbeck wasn't a racist, but it was it was just like, you know, it's it's bad. Let, let's just say it's bad enough that I'm not going to I'm not going to like mimic it here. Ah, is it kind of like a Huck Finn and his friend Jim? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's very bad. Gotcha. But that it doesn't surprise me that that was a, a fear. Gotcha. So in, in 1901, it, when they they become a federation, um, they passed what's called the Immigration Restriction Act of 1901, um, which required a dictation test um, to gain. Um, to gain immigration to Australia. Much like the voting tests of the United States before... Yes. Like, what are they, literacy tests that they were? Like, I, yeah, I've seen pictures of these things, and they're, they're fucking impossible. Like, you couldn't do it because it's a, you could judge it either way. You know what I mean? Like, it's set to fail. Yeah. So they have, um, they, they have this dictation test where you have to read 50 words in a European language, not, not English even, um, you, you could read it in any other European language, um, and as long as they felt that you read it well enough, you could um, immigrate to Australia. Wait, but not English? Well, you can do English. Okay. You could do, okay. like, okay. any okay. European language. Okay, I thought you said not English. Like you, you could, uh, All right, so, you want to come to Australia? You can read this in any language you want, but not English. <laughs> but it's like written but in English. I, I only speak English, sir. No, but, but, but like where, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Just pretend to read it in Spanish. Not like the things like fucking written in English. But sir, it's written in English. Doesn't matter. Yeah, read it in another language. Saying, I need you to translate it. We only want our best and brightest going. Translate this into Irish. It's the original Duolingo. <laughs> but 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 sir. <laughs> This came to be part of what was unofficially called the White Australia Policy. Um, and and the idea was that, that they sort of build Australia to prospective immigrants as sort of being a place, you know, where um, where wages were high for skilled laborers because, you know, the population's low and they're not letting in any of the peoples that live nearby. Um, because, you know, if you're, if you're from a Pacific island or if you're from – you know, Indonesia or, or China or, or, or anywhere in Southeast Asia, um, you can't emigrate to Australia because uh, you can't pass the dictation test usually. Um, and even if you probably could, um, I believe there were cases where they would just be like, no, that was terrible. You can't come in. <laughs> you didn't read it good enough, chap. Right. There's like subjectivity to it. They, they do. They do make way because they do have um, plantations in Queensland um, they passed the Pacific Islander Laborers Act of 1901, which allowed 9,800 Pacific Islanders to remain in Queensland um, as cheap laborers. How about say um, on plantations, huh? And and this um, <laughs> and this will um, this will cause the deportation of 7,500 Pacific Islanders who had been residing in Australia, um, and immigration would be further prohibited in 1904. Um, the, the descendants of these people um, are referred to as the South Sea Islanders. I've never seen that on a form, so they must be exclusive to that area. What, to to Australia? They're, well, they're Pacific Islanders. Oh, okay, so it's just Pacific Islander. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're, they're uh, sort of those, like... Because I got um, a usually... census up here that I didn't fill out, and um, they just want too much information, <laughs> and... Uh, 
No, honestly, you know what happened is I couldn't do it online, and I was like, fuck you. If I can't do it online, I'm not doing it. Well, here's my question. As an Australian, can you fill out a, like a census form and say that you are from the South Pacific? Well, or I, like a I Pacific think... Islander? Could you say that as an Australian? You probably could. I don't know what the definitions are there. I think um, you would either put down that you were that or, or Polynesian. As an Australian. Like, you wouldn't have to put white. Well, like today, like I, I believe they acknowledge, you know, that there are other, you know, other other races of people can be Australian citizens. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, it's been a hundred years. We're less racist. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I forgot. You're not Caucasian unless you're from the Caucasus area of Southeast Asia. Otherwise, <laughs> you're just sparkling mayonnaise. <laughs> or, um, or, or you're just a cracker. I don't. I think I, I don't. As as an ethnic Hungarian, sparkling mayonnaise sounds. Well, as someone as someone who's as someone who's married to a, a descendant of crackers. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Yeah. My wife's family. They did their DNA, and their DNA came back and said descendants Wait. of yeah descend immigrants to South Carolina and Florida. <laughs> it was like oh. Okay. I did one of those ancestry DNA things, and they were like, "Sir, can you not send a? You, we need blood, not Guinness and or Irish whiskey." <laughs> no. So you either send us Jameson or some really odd liquid. I immediately got put on a watch list for people buying fertilizer. Like, I, don't no, I, I got one for you. I got one for you. I'm a triplet, and I sent my mine in, even though you know it would be basically the same as my brother's. But I wanted to see what mine was. Because I'm an identical twin, so we shared an egg. And when they got uh, <laughs> when they got the result, okay, when they got the result, oh, they were like listen. you either you either resubmitted the test for yourself or this is your identical twin. That's what they said to us. It's like yeah, I'll so be they identical know. twin. They know. Oh, of course they know, man. They're watching you. <laughs> They're the Mormons. They have a hundred billion dollars in reserve. God damn. Yeah, it's all a scheme to baptize your dead relatives. It's fine. <laughs> They're dead. They don't um, care. So the the British government and then the the Australian government they they come up with sort of a, a series of schemes um, or, or plans to, to sound less sinister um, <laughs> to to assist immigrants um, to come into Australia from 1831 to 1980. You know, Steve, um, I was talking to someone recently about how the word scheme sounds like sinister. It's oh, fuck you. <laughs> So many of these jokes we're just rehashing again, but for some reason they'll all they're um, all still funny though. Yeah. And uh, before before the federation is made in 1901, uh, the British government handles the, this, and they mostly just pay for people's passage. Um, they they just sort of tell people, you know, you want to go to Australia, we'll we'll give you a ticket. It's a great time. They got spiders the size of your head. Come on down. <laughs> Fun for everyone. You can work until you die. <laughs> um, oh my god. <laughs> then, then after uh, 1901, the, the Australian government and the, um, the the Australian state governments would, would handle um, these these sort of um, plans to get people to come. I can just imagine a travel brochure. Like, come visit beautiful Australia. We have butts. Like the cliffs, the buttes, butts, whatever you want to call them. We have emus. We have kangaroos that'll punch you in the face. We have deadly snakes and spiders. 
We got Wallaby and Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> like, what exactly did they have that was attractive besides land? Well, Probably land. Um, know, some of the coastal get, areas are nice. If you're trying to get white people to go somewhere, well, you definitely want to advertise that there's some land. Yeah. Cheap well, land. It, it's also not like a pollution, like, choked hellhole like most British like cities at like this London. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like London or Liverpool or any of the <laughs> cities. You see the Times this morning? No, I can't see the Times anymore. But Robert, you live on the Times. <laughs> it's like it's like most of Scotland, where they they talk about like how the cities are just like like these just like built upon like the rubble of the previous city like seven times over. So it's just like a hill. With people living inside of essentially like the underbelly of the old city. Oh my god! Oh my Can you imagine god. if you could have one of those things, the uh, like the sonograms that take pictures into the ground, like the ultrasounds or whatever, to just see like seven different layer, like a like a seven layer dip of old ancient like people that have just died. <laughs> like a I think. S- <laughs> did you say a seven layer dip of old ancient dead people? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That sounds like a bad D and D item, like sort of the bastard elf level. I think <laughs> okay, the seven think layer like, dip of ancients. <laughs> I think Edinburgh is the one where like they they built like on top of like the old city. Like when when it got too dilapidated and old, they're just like like well we need to we need to spruce this up. So we're just going to cover this old city over with like with Keep dirt us. and just build on top of it, and it just creates this underground city. Come visit new Edinburgh. What happened to old Edinburgh? <laughs> Don't ask questions! <laughs> People's cats are just digging up femurs. Uh, Professor <laughs> Snugglesworth just dug up an arm again. No, that's just his toy. Come on down! <laughs> Jumping to uh, the First World War, which happened soon after this, um, Australia enters into World War I um, when Great Britain does. Um, they, they had actually been informed before the war was declared. Um, the government had been told by the British government, you know, that war was going to be declared. And they were pretty enthusiastic about getting into it. Um, they, like a lot of Europeans and people at that time, felt that, you know, that there needed to be a good war um, to liven things up, you know, to make men men again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's that's really gross that that's like a thing. Like, Need oh. some good old-fashioned violence to get the penises hot. Yeah. We're all getting too soft. We're going to start a war. Hey, shoot that minority over there. They're all sissies. (laughs) Sissified Australia. Go find somebody that has land we like, and then we'll kill them, we'll take it, and then we'll say, meh, we don't even like this land that much. And then we'll make a policy by where if they can't read French in Chinese, (laughs) they have to leave. It's a great system. The Queen approves. So we wrote the Declaration of Independence in Mandarin, and you got to read it in French. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> As Australia enters into the war enthusiastically uh, on the side of, of Great Britain, um, one of the first things they do is they seize a lot of um, German Pacific possessions. Um, that there were a number of islands in the Pacific that Germany had, had claimed. Um, and, and they, as well as the New Zealanders, and also Japan, um, claimed most of Germany's possessions in this side of the world pretty quickly. Um, Japan takes the possessions that are in China, and New Zealand also um, helps with Australia taking a number of the other islands. Jesus. Um, so uh, most of the fighting there is done. Um, they, they see very little 
Um, and then um, they are they are called to sort of do their duty and help Great Britain um, in Europe, which they um, are, as I said, enthusiastically set out to do. Um, they form what's called the first Australian Imperial Force, um, and they fight in the Middle East and the Western Front. In World what? War Two, uh, in World War One. Okay, and um, the force it it exists from 1914 to 1921, and it had a total of 331,781 men. Jesus, that's a lot of fucking dudes. I mean, to be real, that's like, that's, no, that's not more than we've sent to Iraq and Afghanistan. I think we've sent more over there. It's it's still a lot relative to the population of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and during this period, too, they gain a, a sort of reputation as being um, being really tough soldiers. Um, they There comes what's called the Anzac Legend. Um, which is that, you know, the Australians are sort of, and, and the New Zealanders, um, they're sort of these um, these badasses, you know, they're, they're very stoic and courageous and genius, but, but also, like, very rowdy. Um, <clears throat> Everything that I know about the Anzacs, I know from Battlefield 1. That's it. That 20-minute campaign that you get with the Australian guy where there's a lot of screaming and yelling, and your duty is to run a letter across front lines. So I guess what well, I'm trying that, to say is I heard that Australians were good runners. <laughs> isn't that also Gallipoli? Uh, maybe. Maybe. But the campaign that I – it was like a 20-minute like campaign. It was literally, hey, all right, take this letter and run it across the front lines. Like that's, that was it. Well, that's that whole movie that's coming out, uh, 1917, where it's about the, the two British soldiers that have to have to run across France to to deliver orders to this unit that the one guy's brother's in. Saving Private Ryan, but like for World War One. Well, it's not like it, they they send him because he has the personal attachment, but it's also to save like like uh, thousands of men too. Okay. Okay. They're like, you got to get this letter to them and let them know it's a trap, or they're all gonna die. And it's just like them like running through the the trenches there's like a scene where they go through like the underground of the german trenches and there's a um and there's like a bomb goes off or whatever and like the one guy almost gets buried alive just very like dramatic very much like uh dunkirk style uh war movie that sounds cool as shit <laughs> dunkirk was good um, don't laugh it was good it's actually i haven't film. seen it i'm not a big movie guy like I like movies, but I just I don't go out of my way to watch them most of the time. Oh man, if you see Dunkirk on, watch it, dude. It's really good. Yeah. And um, the the sort of the pivotal moment in the war uh, for Australians is um, April twenty fifth, nineteen fifteen, which is the Gallipoli landing, um, which which was a very ill conceived um, sort of landing in in sort of Anatolia by the British forces and, and Commonwealth forces that would have. Um, once they had landed, they were going to move up north and take Constantinople um, so, uh, in the hopes of knocking the Turks out of the war. Not Istanbul. Um, but this pr- <laughs> <laughs> or, yes, it would be Istanbul. Not Constantinople. Uh, <laughs> gotta make those yeah. lowbrow jokes. <laughs> so, they, the, the idea was that they were going to do that, um, but um, the, the invasion sort of fails very early on because... The, the way the Bosphorus flows 
um, through that area is is that it empties into the Mediterranean. Um, so the water flows south um, through the strait, and that causes that makes it very easy for them to put um, mines in the water and have them just flow into the British ships. What? <laughs> Excuse me. What kind so they, of fucking Hanna-Barbera Looney Tunes shit is that they're just putting mines in the fucking river and let it float down and blow up ships? Not even have to risk yeah. anybody's lives. <laughs> it, it's not as bad as the Russians like sinking their own ships in the Russo-Japanese War with mines, but it's it's up there. That's some real lazy river goddamn Oh my god, that's some Imagine you're at shit. Disney. And you're and you're you know you're at whatever uh, what are the name of those I can't remember the name of the parks. Typhoon you're Lagoon. At, you're at you're at Typhoon Lagoon, and you're in the Lazy River, and all of a sudden a fucking Turkish mine starts flying <laughs> towards you. Just goes rolling by you. No, it's It's the ultimate <laughs> tactic. And um, the um, the the way they have to go up and attack as well, they have to go from the beach sort of up. These, these hills and cliffs, um, sort of if you have an idea of like a Mediterranean coast, you know, you see those pictures of like the very like steep hills or whatever with like buildings on them. Yeah. Like that, that's what they're crawling up. What? Um, so, and, and the enemy commander as well is, um, is Mustafa Kemal, the future Ataturk, um, the leader of uh, sort of the founding father of modern day Turkey. Um, he's the commander of this force that they're fighting against, and he's actually a pretty good general. Um, so he's able um, to, to sort of defeat this landing, and he becomes very famous for it. I was going to say, if he's like the dude, like the, the godfather of modern-day Turkey, I'm going to say that my man's probably a good military general and or did some really baller shit to have an entire country be like, yeah, yeah this seems like a good guy to follow. We'll name our country after. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, portraits of him up and stuff like that you know sort of like a very cult of personality yeah unlike turkmenistan or whatever the fuck that country is that they've developed a cult of personality oh. not like yeah that. he's no turkman bashi yeah yeah that, that guy <laughs> he he never did any donuts in front of the flaming pit are you guys speaking english because i don't know who the fuck you're talking you've about. never seen that you don't know no. who turkman bashi is oh nah. he's He's like the dictator that ruled Turkmenistan. He may be dead. No one knows. But there was this... I, it, I, already, like the, the, I already like the story. He may oh, be listen, dead. It, their propaganda <laughs> of, is top-notch. Not not to get off, off topic a bit, but one of the things that they had as proof that he was still alive when the rumors came up was that one of the big attractions in Turkmenistan is is that there was like an open air mine, like you know those mines that are just like a circular hole in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and it's like a it volcano was one of, or some shit, right? It it was one of those, but it had caught fire. They'd hit like natural gas. This is like a Soviet era mine, and they had hit natural gas, so now it's like this giant like fire pit. And one of the like <laughs> evidence that they had that he was still alive was hit was a like a rally car doing donuts outside of this giant flaming pit. You gotta understand. You gotta understand. This is on state TV. This is state sanctioned, like Fox News saying, "Look, man, our guy's not dead." And it's like a fucking helicopter aerial shot of this guy Tokyo drifting around a fucking gigantic goddamn fire pit, and they're like, "Yeah, that's totally that's totally our guy down there. See, he's definitely not dead." What? Oh my <laughs> like, God. Not even that's any crazy. shots of him like in the car. Just the car driving. Like, no, it's definitely our guy. Just believe us. So anyway, this guy's in Australia. 
Um, so they they get beaten by the Turks. Um, it becomes like a big rallying thing for New Zealand. Um, Anzac Day is like their um, their Memorial Day. Um, it's it's on April 25th, and they they celebrate it to commemorate all the Australians and New Zealanders who who died in the line of duty throughout like all conflicts. Um, and and back home in Australia, they feel like they need to do something for the troops, but they also um, sort sort of combine their other passion project, which is like getting people to live in Australia in places other than the big cities. Even if you look at a satellite map now, nobody lives anywhere in Australia but the big cities. So that was a failure. It, it is a. It, some of them are successful, but a lot of them aren't. Um, but in 1915, the the state of South Australia passes um, legislation that allocates land to veterans of the Great War. Oh, that's nice. And the the federal government sort of feels like this is a good enough idea that they call a conference of all the uh, representatives from other state governments and the federal government to sort of enact a, a similar scheme throughout the whole nation. And uh, what they decide is is that the federal government would choose uh, would choose crown lands um, to allocate to the state governments, and then they would in turn allocate it to demobilized soldiers as they saw fit. It's actually not a bad idea. Um, most of the areas, though, are, are uninhabited or sparsely inhabited. Um, the idea is is that the settlers are going to build up these areas. And now we're getting um, to the shitty part of it, where it's like. We'll give you guys land. Oh, cool. We're going to give you the shittiest fucking unfarmable, unhabitable land that this goddamn country has to offer. <laughs> Very much like the, the Homestead Acts in, in the United States. Um, the idea was that, you know, it's it's not like a gift. Like, they're not just giving you the land. Like, you have to build it up or they take it away from you. It's much like public defenders in the United States. We'll give you a lawyer if you can't afford one. But we're going to give you the dumbest, overworked motherfucker that just doesn't have time for your shit that we can find. Like, yeah, you're, you're going to have to do all the work yourself. You're not getting Matt Damon from The Rainmaker, alright? Yeah, you ain't... <laughs> <laughs> you ain't getting Joe Pesci and my cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not even getting Saul Goodman. <laughs> you're definitely not getting Saul Goodman. Yeah, I feel bad saying that, Joe, because I, I have a couple good friends who have done public defender work, and I know how badly they're overworked and just shit all over so anyway um this is this is also sort of a an idea that's sort of been around since ancient times um the roman empire would do this with uh with legionnaires if if you were sort of a veteran um they would settle you in an area that had been added to the empire and the idea was that you know you would romanize it as you live there you know you'd build it up um you get the economy going by by farming and selling goods there and then you would in turn also bring in um, Roman Latinized culture. This almost sounds like a shitty version of trickle down economics. It, it kind of is, and and the same is sort of true for the Homestead Acts, which, like I said, you know, you're you're given a certain amount of time for you to make a successful farm, and if you're unable to get like a farm going, they can take away your land. Oh fuck that, dude. That's um, it's a third so it's third try with the turnips. <laughs> you tried. You're done. No more. But Paul, the soil's too bad. <laughs> Try potatoes next time. Um, in, in 1924, around 24 million acres um, had been acquired or allocated to this program. So 6.3 million acres was was purchased, um, and 18 million acres was crown land that was set aside. Okay. 
Um, and this was allocated to about 23,367 farms across all six states of Australia. Did we do the uh, did we do the math on that to find out about how much each one got? Like, did they all get something equal, or was it more or less like, <laughs> nah, you're 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 going to produce more shit, so we're going to give you more land? It was there wasn't that much thought put into it. It was based on what the state viewed was a good allotment. Um, because one of the things that they came to find out that was sort of a, a problem with the program was they never did any assessment on like how well the individual or or group would be at like making a farm. Uh-huh. Um, so there was there was no sort of training. There was no sort of like looking into their background to see like is this guy going to be able to make a successful farm or not? Okay. Um, and land was also offered um, in some states to um, to Commonwealth servicemen. Um, nurses and female relatives of deceased soldiers. I'm 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 on board with all this. I mean, I don't see um, any reason not to be right. Yeah, um, but one of the problems is is that um, with women, um, they they suffered more than men in these allocations because they weren't really given a chance. <laughs> you started that um, really badly. One of the problems with these fucking women. <laughs> it sounded like he was he was starting his like uh, the lamp spot routine. You know, one of the problems with women. <laughs> anyway. Let me just let me, let's just say they're not sending, you know, their Stacy's out there. That's, <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about some bio truths. Oh my god. Uh. Um but but to rephrase that, uh women women would suffer more than men in these because the, the commissions that were giving the land didn't really give them a chance. And also, in some cases, seem to set them up to fail. That seems about fair for the for the time that we're talking about. And and an example that's given is this uh, that I found is this woman named Annie Smith, and she was a nurse who had began a, a dairy farm, and she was repeatedly criticized by the by the settlement board because she was she was hiring labor um, to do some of the more f- uh, difficult physical tasks. Um, okay. And, and they also disregarded the fact that the plot that she had been assigned had no water and that she had not been – that she had obtained the labor from nearby settlers um, by offering them um, nursing, sort, sort of on a one-for-one a one um, type deal. So it was, it was a quid pro quo situation. Okay. Okay. Um, but they, they criticized her for that. Um, in 1926, um, she vacated the lot – um, because her war pension had run out and she had a mounting debt. Um, and then the, the board, um, which, which sort of showed that she was correct, um, they had offered it to two subsequent um, male owners, and each of them had failed to make the land profitable. So huh. it See, wasn't her. See, man, was... you fucks. Just because she couldn't do it doesn't mean you can, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, Terry, yeah, uh, it's me. Uh, yeah, this land is shite. <laughs> yeah, I can't get anything going on it now. You should now, call Steve. See if Steve yeah, can get tr- something going. I trod peeing in it. It didn't add any nitrates to the soil. Did you try to... Did, uh, now, now, let me ask you. Did you try to dump a can of Fosters on it? <laughs> a- apparently, <laughs> Fosters is not marketed as an Australian beer in Australia. That's it's marketed, I believe, as a, as a Cockney Wait, beer. Wait, what's a Cockney Really, like like a Cockney, like a they're they're sort of like 
There's like sort of sub, like subset. a Londoner, like they're a subset like, of rural it, London, they're, or urban London. They're they're like a certain area, like it's a section of neighborhoods. Like it gets expanded um, to include um, to include a larger area, but originally it is only um, it is only supposed to be like um, this certain like neighborhoods. Okay. Okay. I heard somebody had gone to Australia. One of my buddies had went there, and uh, he had said that like it's not an Australian beer. Like if you order a Foster's, they're gonna look at you like you're retarded. Well, one, it's a shit beer, and two, <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's it's pretty watered down. Yeah, I can get a can the size of my head for like two ninety nine. Like I feel like that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, they 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 sell them in big cans for a reason. Yeah, they get rid of all that excess piss water. And in on June thirtieth of nineteen twenty four, um, they, they had made settlements in in all of the the states of Australia by then. Um, but many of the those settlements, like I said before, would fail due to the location, lack of infrastructure, and largely largely being incredibly difficult areas to settle. Um, so it, if you don't have any water in the desert, you know you can't have a farm. <laughs> I mean, clearly. That's why there's so uh, many which, which is one of the Vegas. big reasons. <laughs> uh, in in 1934, after this was all all said and done, um, the state government of Victoria recorded that only, um, or around the time that this is sort of winding down, they they recorded that only 61 percent of the land had been allocated. Um, by 1939, the state government had found that 60 percent of those farms had been abandoned. Wow. So, so sixty percent of that sixty-one percent had had failed. I mean, let's let's just say unequivocally, not every man is a farmer. And well, and if you grew up well, in, in like a city or something like London, you're definitely not a farmer. Well, yeah, but I feel like the land well, there was shit too. Like if I asked well, some these... random dickhead in Florida to to you know, and I said I'm going to give you this land, you just have to farm it. I mean, they're going to basically just be like, Nah, I'm just going to stay here. Because fuck that. Yeah, a, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, participants were Australian, um, so most of them were from larger cities, usually. Yeah, exactly. So they have no idea; um, they have no concept of farming. A, a royal commission found that the four main reasons settlements failed were um, the selection of inexperienced settlers, um, a lack of capital, uh, the size of the blocks that they allocated. And the prices received for agricultural products. So it's sort of a perfect storm of they weren't allocated enough land. Um, they didn't have enough money to start up a farm. Uh, much like Annie Smith, you know, she ran out of money was the main reason that she had to, she had to abandon the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during this period as well, because you remember the Depression hits, um, the prices for agricultural goods are going down. And so, and there was never really any assessment done of the ability of someone to build a farm in these areas. They just decided, you know, we're going to give them land and they're going to build a farm. No more thought to it. Sounds never mind. Never mind. I'm I'm just going to keep on rolling with this one. Yeah. No more thought to it. Just yeah, give them land. They'll, they'll do stuff with it. And around 1932 was when the first body was found. Don don don. Just peck marks. Oddly. Oddly shaped, large bird-like prints embedded in their backs. Is this for real? This is this is how the no, body I'm was joking. found. Oh, don't fuck with me like that. <laughs> so, but before we get into the actual war, I'm going to talk about emus a little bit. 
Um, so what, so, so, what, so what, what is an emu? As far as I know, uh, an emu, my Google image, my Google foo, an emu, as far as I'm concerned, it looks like a shitty fucking drunk ostrich. It is It is the second largest bird by height. Okay. Um, it is it is like a little bit a uh, little bit smaller than an ostrich. Um, the the highest uh, the highest height an emu can get, I think, is six point two feet. Is it tall? Is the six point two feet? Is it flightless? It is a flightless Fuck bird. Yeah. It's a big useless shit bird. <laughs> it can they can apparently climb really well. I climb. I don't doubt that because honestly, I we I don't know if we stated it <laughs> earlier, but. I live next door to a farm, and they have several emus. I think three, and they have some of the biggest fucking talon feet. Like when you look at their feet, you'd swear you're looking at like dinosaur feet. Yeah, they're they're, it, they're actually kind of fucking frightening, man. Really, it's not as bad as a cassowary, but it's still yeah. Like, if you go up to like pet one, you can tell that you're not supposed to. It's kind of like it's kind of <laughs> like any other bird, you know. It's one of like, those ways that nature says, "Don't fucking go near like this you thing." See it looks a like hawk, a goddamn velociraptor. Some hawks apparently like to have their heads pet, but I'm not putting my fucking head near anything that has a genus name of raptor. Yeah, it, it has a fucking cigar cutter for a mouth. You don't want to be sticking any of your appendages next to that. No, I put no. it in, I turn my thing here, and nip the tip. <laughs> no, my dad had parrots growing up, and I remember that was like his pet. He loved them, but I, he's like, here, hold them. No, go fuck yourself. I don't want to lose a finger. Like, no. Nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good, Pop. Um, so like Look you said, a little baby he- won't touch the fucking parrot. <laughs> Uh, what it is is uh, <laughs> I'm a human and that's an avian and I'm not supposed to be near this fucking thing basically. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be 80 feet in the air looking Just... down at me trying to shit on me. <laughs> there's there's no empathy. It, it, we're, we have, we're incompatible, you know. Yeah. We're, we're mammals. They're they're birds. You know, it's it's just a yeah. And I'm not just I'm a not crazy an mixed up. I'm world. not an expert. You know, like we've definitely pet the emus next door before. But it's like a process. It takes like it takes like you can't just like they have two dogs too. They're Anatolian shepherds. Their dogs uh-huh. like the size of your like a Toyota Corolla, and uh, and basically, you know, <laughs> and basically, dude, it's an ancient breed. It's like several thousand years old. They live to be like sixteen, and they're huge. God uh, damn. But they're uh, they're huge, right? And they're scary as fuck. But if you walk up to pet them, they're like. They're babies, you know, as long as their owners yeah. aren't around. But yeah, the yeah. emu, if you want to pet the emu, you got to walk up to it and you got to kind of finesse it a little bit, you know. <laughs> you got to like, like, you know, subtly whisk him away to a world where he's going to get something in return, you know, for it. And why are you? Why are you talking about this? Like interacting with this emu like a pickup artist? That's what it is. It's it's literally you, you got to use like pua techniques, bro. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta dig him. You gotta be like, yeah, like you're not even. Like, a, what up, you stupid slut? You're not even the best emu I've seen today. <laughs> okay, and if I don't get to pet you, it's not like I'm missing out. There, there there's, are other there's emus. There's a hundred other emus I'd rather God, be petting. They than are you. the worst fucking men on earth. All right, <laughs> I so can't fucking stand any, anyway, no, but seriously, you do. You kind of have to like walk up and take your time with it. And again, you could just fucking tell. You're not supposed to be petting it. 
Yeah, there's there's some sort of like unspoken contract of like you're only allocated so many pets before the pecking starts. <laughs> oh, dude, it's, it's it's so crazy. Um, but but emus though they're they're actually kind of like like badass. Um, they they can travel like great distances and they can run up to thirty one miles per hour. Holy uh, shit! Yeah, I've seen them run before in the field, and it's actually kind of frightening because so again, they can dust Usain Bolt. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, they can dust. <laughs> um, they they can apparently also climb over high fences if necessary. How? Uh, well, that uh, that I, brings I, me up to my next story, which was when the emu got out and was walking uh, down the dirt road I live off of, and it was just you know just meandering around, and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And someone knocked on my door. I forget if it was my neighbor or, or whatever, but. Yeah, the emu's out, and my father-in-law's out there, and my, my neighbor's out there. And my neighbor's a my neighbor's a big guy. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, like, he, he's pushing 300. He's not fat. He's just Not enormous. a little dude, basically. He's enormo, yeah. And he's being careful. Because no. that emu is just fucking dangerous, man. So, it took three of us probably a half an hour... Just to get him to turn around, and ultimately, I think what we ended up having to do was get my neighbor's wife to lasso the emu, and then convince it it was in its best interest to go down the road in the right direction. <laughs> Again, using pickup artist techniques. <laughs> do a little peacocking, you know. Uh. <laughs> it was very interesting, but the whole time I was kind of like boxing him out, but I felt like Muggsy Bogues boxing out Michael Jordan. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, the, uh, the, the, the emu wrangling and how well that works. Um, oh, my God. But, but they, they generally um, they, they eat plants and insects. They, they forage for food, um, but they can live without food or water for long spans of time. Um, they can go, like, I think it's so they can go, like, a couple weeks without eating. Like a fucking um, camel? It, well, it, and like a camel, when they drink, they, they drink once a day. And what they do is, is they just drink for 10 minutes straight, continuously. <laughs> so they're like me. <laughs> he just drink. This fucking, just, I, fucking Irish ass bird. They're just <laughs> chugging the whole time and not breaking eye contact with you. That would be the most intimidating shit ever. You just sit in a bar and you look over. Uh, a fucking it's like emu. A, that sounds like a whitest kids you know sketch. <laughs> the visit emu sitting at the bar with Das Boot and he's just chugging it, never breaking eye contact with you. <laughs> so you're just like, why is there an emu in this bar? <laughs> It's like the just, guy just points to a sign that says "Don't question the emu." <laughs> just taps it. It's like, "Don't make me tap it again." <laughs> the sign. Don't make me tap the sign. Um, and apparently, I, I I'm not really sure. I, I think it's just sort of an evolutionary thing. But they're very adept at, at sort of avoiding predators. Um, at that time in Australia, the thylacine is still extant. Um, it has not been completely wiped out by this point. I believe uh, the, the thylacine sorry, the is what? like. A thylacine is like it's like a marsupial, um, like coyote slash wolf type creature. It's it's not like related to dogs, but it's just, it sort of fills the same role. Okay, it's it's like a very weird looking animal. Like the its hind legs are, are sort of have like a stripe pattern on it, and it sort of looks like um, like a dog almost. Yeah, it was, okay. by, it was created by Gary Gygax in 1980. <laughs> 
it looks like something that someone would like draw in a notebook. Okay. <laughs> like, right oh my if, god! If you look at him, it, it has like a striped hind, like hind back. It looks like um, a, it look okay. This is what it looks like because now that you've posted the picture, it looks like a zebra fucked a Florida panther who then fucked <laughs> a wolf. Yeah, and it's it's a marsupial, um, which is one of the reasons why it went extinct. That's probably why it looks so be- feline like too. Because it couldn't really um, defend, like most marsupials, you know, except for possums, they just have a difficulty defending their young. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes them very easy to, like, kill. Um, but the thylacine, and also apparently there was, like, a large terrestrial lizard in Australia called a, a, a megaladia. And it looks like an alligator. A megaladia. Elania. Megaelania, okay. And. This thing looks like a looks like a dino like a like a um, alligator. <laughs> the picture of this fucking emu just looking at the camera. That thing would terrify me, bro. That's what they all look like. They're fucking dude. They all look like crazy homeless people. Okay, so all right, all right. So this is what I'm getting at because you have more of an experience. So let me see if I can equate this correctly. Emus are the bird are to birds what wasps are to flying insects. I mean, in my opinion, that's not a bad not a bad analysis. <laughs> like, uh, Just straight fucking assholes with no purpose. Well, I mean, they, I- they do have... You can get a lot from eboos. Like what? Which I'll, I'll, I'll get to. Okay, um, okay. So they, when we domesticated they, those fuckers in the war, after, because after we of, kicked their asses... <laughs> because of these um, extinct predators like that sort of Komodo dragon... Uh, megalania that used to exist in Australia, um, they became sort of adept at avoiding and, and sort of dealing with predators. So unlike some large birds, um, they they do have a fear of of like predators. Because um, there are some large birds like the dodo and, and some other similar ones like the gray auk, where they would just like stand around because they had no 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 sort of natural predators on the land. And that's why so they stink. Those stupid fucking yeah, birds. Yeah, you could just walk up to them and just like beat them to death, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> like a pigeon in the city. Uh, emus, um, though, they can be farmed for their meat, which was um, before um, sort of um, European settlement, the aboriginals, that was their primary source of meat. Okay. Um, you, you can use the fat for fuel, because this is during that period where they're just, like, mashing, like, whales and, like, seals into oil. <laughs> they're just beating the shit out of the poor baby seals, clubbing them to death. You, you can use the skin for leather, very much like an ostrich. That's, oh, man. And, and you can use the feathers, because um, I guess, like, they don't really have, like, that big of feathers, but they do have, like, those sort of, like, like short downy feathers. Like so, you can probably, like, so, so let me tell you what I, let me tell you what I know about their feathers. Um, they're ugly. And, they're ugly as fuck. And I'll see, I'll see the emus. I'm very nice to the emus. You know, I love, I basically love all animals. Um. <clears throat> and I'll go over there, and one day there were just fucking emu feathers all over the grass, and I was like, what the fuck happened? And I guess one of the other emus, like, got into a turf war with one of the other emus, <laughs> and <laughs> fucked it up, man. Like, just, he, it was all cut up and shit. He, 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 was, he was talking about his fly girl. He was, he was. Did, he was dissing his fly girl, so they had to come over and mess him up. Say some emu. I said... <laughs> Starts talking about one of your fly girls. 
You just get one of these. These motherfuckers look like the drunk, like the alcoholic ostrich. Like they look like they got the mange. Yeah, um, I've only successfully pet it once, and I felt really good about myself. Felt like a fucking droid. Hey, you stared during this face. Um, during this period, too, the only, like, real predators the emus have are, are, are dingoes and man. And a, and a dingo is like a, a quasi-domesticated wolf, essentially. Yeah. Uh, my buddy, uh, growing up, my buddy Alex, uh, shout out if you're listening to this, uh, he had a domesticated red dingo, uh, as a pet growing up. Where? And, uh, this dog in Orlando, this dog was the coolest fucking dog. It was like domesticated red dingo mixed with something else, but it was incredibly smart. Like, supernaturally smart. Almost as smart as his Border Collie, because he had a Border Collie, too. Yeah, Border Collie will do your taxes. <laughs> Can you imagine walking in and seeing that little green reflective visor <laughs> on in glasses? How you, how you doing, Fido? <laughs> Rough. <laughs> they're, um, they're, they're also related to a, a really cool breed of um, dog called the New Guinea Highland Dingo, or Highland Dog. And it's, it's also referred to as the singing dog because of the way they, like, howl. Really? Hmm. Um, and, and I believe they're 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 related. They look very similar. Oh, okay. They they sort of have that almost like like Shiba Inu look to them. Mm-hmm. I love those looks of the Shiba yeah. Inus. Um, All right, so tell us about this fucking war. Well, uh, so first the Australians drew first blood um, <laughs> because originally there was a there was a dwarf emu that existed on King and Kangaroo Islands, um, which are these two islands. Um, off the coast of Australia, they're settled, um, and they were wiped out by European settlers. They, they're about half the size of a standard emu. So European settlers wiped them out. So they they drew first blood. And the 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 capital of Tasmania, Hobart, um, their coat of arms has a has a has a dwarf emu on it. It's still um, to this that's, day. That's one of their emblems. To this day. Yes, oh, um, awesome. and Australia. And in 1912, um, Australia adopted its coat of arms, and the emu is one of the um, the supporters of the the coat of arms, which is a shield that has that contains the the, the emblems of the six states of Australia. That's awesome. It, it, the kangaroo and the emu hold the um, the the shield on the. Um, I, I believe it's referred to as the standard in the coat of arms. Hmm. Um, so, in 1929, um, the Great Depression, you know, tanks the world's economy, um, and the government of Western Australia is asking farmers to plant more wheat crops. Um, they, they want more wheat because they can't rely, or they, they believe they can't rely as much on international trade, so they want to have, like, a, a good domestic source of wheat. Um, farmers are promised subsidies, um, but the government just continually fails to deliver them to the farmers. Um, on October of 1939, um, wheat prices um, fell, and the government failed to deliver um, subsidies to farmers, so farmers um, refused to deliver the wheat harvest for the season until they're given um, proper compensation. Makes sense. Um, during that season, 20,000 emus migrate into the Campion District of Western Australia. Um, so when they call the state Western Australia – it is literally like the western half of Australia. That's like one state, right? Just the whole western half. Yes. Okay. And uh, Campion's sort of in the um, southwest 
um, sort of the the central, like southwest, almost around where the the tip juts out at the very um, very southwest. Okay. Um, and these twenty thousand emus migrate into there um, because, like the the emus, naturally migrate. Um, they they just sort of move around and and eat food as they go as the seasons change. Um, and this becomes a problem because the emus destroy fences and then they eat um, they eat wheat and destroy wheat in the process of eating it. So they're a nuisance animal, basically. Yes, and they're they're still ranked as one of like the least concerned animals to this day. Like, right? like kill like it, nobody cares. Yeah, they've been consistently listed as a least concerned animal for for decades. Like a deer and like a like a wild boar here in Florida. Yeah. Okay. So, like, to to give something that like Steve would be familiar with, it's like deer in New Jersey. Yeah, although it's a little bit. A little bit hard to kill them now. Like my brother has, uh, you have to, you have to. They only allow like deer hunts certain times of the year. Well, but but I mean in the fact that you know you look out your back window and there's like four deer just just chilling in your backyard. He was kind of like, like oh, okay. Oh, dude, my brother. You just either like whatever. Like you just point buck like just standing in his fucking front lawn, and my brother's just looking at it like it's dinner, and he's <laughs> just like, I I can't do it. I can't take it. It's like it's, a moose like, here in Canada. Or that that video of the two moose fighting in the the front yeah. yard. Hey the ma, <laughs> come here. There's twenty thousand emus out back, ma. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, <laughs> <laughs> how long do you let your children play outside for when twenty thousand emus are coming? <laughs> uh, twenty to, 20 to fifty thousand feral emus. <laughs> well, it, and they'll come to find out that the assault weapons will not save you with them. <laughs> Wait, uh, what? So the just just to go back to what I was saying, how they destroyed fences. Um, this becomes an even bigger problem for farmers because the fences are mainly there to keep rabbits out. Okay, um, rabbit rabbits are a major like pest in Australia because they're not native to Australia and they have no natural predators. Yeah, they're brought there by Bart Simpson. Bart Simpson. Yeah, <laughs> they call them Hoppy Jackawogs. How do rabbits have no natural predators in Australia when, like, fucking humans have natural predators in Australia? Like, what the fuck? They're fast. I don't know. Uh, oh, okay. Rabbits are actually um, incredibly fast. Yeah, I mean, like, we we have rabbits all over here, too, and we have foxes. And uh, we had a whole family of foxes here at one point, and I don't think we ever saw a single dead rabbit. The rabbits just, just stayed here. Like, foxes had trouble killing them. Really? Yep. Uh, I didn't know they were that fast. Yeah, they're fucking, anyway. fucking super fast. Um, so, f- farmers are obviously upset, so they relay these troubles to the state government, and ex-soldiers, um, these settlers, are deputized um, to meet with the Minister of Defense, um, Sir George Pierce. Um, Sir Pierce George like, Pierce? He's, he's uh, like, a very veteran, like, politician, um, he served in different cabinet positions for a combined total of 24 years, and he was a senator for 37 years. So he's a giant piece of shit career politician. Gotcha. He's 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 been around for a long time. He was the <laughs> he was the minister for defense during uh, World War One. He was minister of defense from September 17, 1914, to um, December 21st, 1921. So he was he was the defense minister for most of the war. Wow. Doesn't make him sound any um, better. <laughs> so he's so he's empathetic to the soldiers, and the soldiers their their idea that they bring to him is they want to use machine guns to call the emus. <laughs> okay, so we got we got 
let's set this stage. We got Australian soldiers. Are these the Anzacs? Are these like the special forces? Guys? Well, these are these are Anzac veterans. Okay, Anzac veterans. So these are these are World War One veterans, the Great War veterans, right? Against twenty thousand emus. The very same. Now, how many how many veterans do we have? Do we have a rough estimate? Seventy six. Uh, I, I, they don't really give it. They don't really give an estimate, and we'll we'll get to why. Um, this is fucking embarrassing. How if it, you lose to a goddamn bird if you have machine guns. Because it's because it's because it's how it's, how it's handled. Um, so they they want to use the machine gun because they've seen how effectively it's used against humans in the field. So they 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 think you know that if it can kill like thousands of humans that way, it can kill like thousands of these dumb birds this way. Stands to um, reason. So the the government agrees on the grounds that the guns are only to be used by military personnel. The the troops transport has to be financed by the Western Australian government. Fair. And the farmers um, they have to sort of board these these soldiers who come to to cull the emus. So they have to give them food accommodation, and they have to pay for the ammunition. Uh, but you have to. You have to remember, this is like middle of nowhere, like ranch country. There's no hotel. Give a fuck, I'm American. I, I give no quarter to no fucking soldier. <laughs> and then, and then Pierce thinks too um, that th- this will be good target practice for the soldiers. But that's fair. These guys boarding the soldiers that are going to take care of their emu problem. Okay. And they have to pay for the ammunition. I don't. I, I'm sure ammunition was much more affordable back then than it is today. Yeah. I'm sure they had a lot of like excess ammunition left over from the war. Yeah. Um. So so costs were low. And also, okay, yeah, um, it makes sense. Like, listen, we can't do we can't go against twenty thousand emus ourselves. So we'll we'll hire these mercenaries to come in here and clean up for us. Okay. That makes well, they're not they're not mercenaries. They're active duty like Australian military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, in, you know, just hey, we're gonna pay you to come over here and take care of our problem for us. We feel good. <laughs> Um, the, the government agrees to the scheme um, because they, they felt it would be like a, a PR win, that it would show that they were supporting the farmers without actually giving them, you know, the meaningful support that they had been asking for. Guys, watch us murder all these fucking animals in cold blood. Aren't we great? PR win. <laughs> and they also they also hope that this will sort of um, sort of take care of there's a growing secession movement in Western Australia. There, in 1933, there's a secession referendum. Um, for them to leave the Federation and sort of form their own um, Commonwealth country. Um, but this does not succeed um, because by the by the logic that's used um, in secession is that because the British Parliament had established the Constitution of Australia and sort of the Federation, that it would be up to the British Parliament for them to secede. <laughs> and, and, and they vote... Anyway, they vote overwhelmingly yes. Like there's like a, I think it's something like sixty some percent of them do, but it doesn't matter because the British Parliament just tells them no. Sounds like a government. Hey, we all want this. We voted overwhelmingly in favor. No, uh, and, and no, because I'm sorry, and because they want to get rid of the secession movement, they also commission. Um, a cinematographer from Fox Movie Tone to record the events for the news. Because this is during that period, you know, when you go to the movie theater, they play the news beforehand. I'm sorry, that was a thing? Yeah, yeah. you know, like, where it's like, it's like, oh, boys, at work. I, I posted the one video of this oh, okay, to the okay. to you. the Facebook group where it's like, it's like, oh, boys, making short work of these emus. Oh, okay. Like little propaganda films, okay. Yeah. And then, um, so... Due to the rain sort of dispersing the emus, the first sort of action is taken on November 2nd, 1932. 
um, a Major J.P.W. Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery um, is dispatched. Under him is Sergeant S. McMurray and Gunner J. O. Holleran. Um, and they're armed with two Lewis guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, the first the first flock they engage is 50 emus. Um, but they first find out that their weapons are, are like out of range, that the emus are too far away for them to, to be hit by the guns. Um, so what they do is the, the settlers who are helping them, um, they sort of try to herd the emus into a kill box. That way they don't have to waste as much ammo. Okay, seems fair. So they can so they can shoot the emus, um, but it's ineffective due to the emus breaking into smaller groups and they move erratically, you know, to sort of dodge predators. So the emus just sort of separate into these like smaller like like groups and disperse, so they can't they can't move them in a big group into this like call you know, them killing uh, field. murder posses. <laughs> <laughs> these okay, so they had machine guns. Yeah. Why couldn't they just fucking spray? Well, they they do kill about a dozen birds um, in the second barrage, um, second and they bar- do they, <laughs> which is the one after the they after they sort of try to herd them into the closer to the guns, and then later that day they encounter another flock which which has similar results. I don't think you're going to get rid of the emu problem if there's twenty thousand of these fuckers and you're killing them a dozen at a and- time. And it gets like to Looney Tune levels because on November fourth they set up an gets, ambush at, gets, at a nearby dam. It gets um, to Looney Tune levels. You got the military against a bunch of birds, and it yeah, can they got get these Acme. They got these Acme machine guns um, because they they set up this ambush at this dam where there's about a thousand emus have established sort of like a flock, like they're just sort of chilling out there. When did Sir um, George Pierce call Wiley Coyote to help him? And then they. They unload on the emus, but the gun jams after only killing two emus, and the rest of the emus escape. What are they? <laughs> what are, are these fuckers wearing? Like armor? Like they're not armored birds. They're just fucking birds. They only kill two of them. They they sort of hear that down south of there that the emus there are, are reportedly like more like docile. That they're more like used to people. Um, so they they go down there, but they're also ineffective. Um, and it gets to a point, too, where psychologically they begin describing uh, leadership roles to, like, larger birds in the packs. Um, because apparently there's these um, birds, which they claim have, like, a, a plumage above their head, and that they're a little taller than the other birds, and that they alert the flock of when they're coming, so the flock runs away. Okay. So they're so they're getting to a point where they're just sort of, like, like like giving the birds like human characteristics like i don't even think like emus work that way i think it's just you know there's a taller bird than group sees trouble and lets everybody else know mm-hmm. but they're like that right there that is the that's the emu shaka zulu right there oh my god <laughs> which which i'll come back to that um at one point they attempt to mount um a lewis gun which is like the standard like british uh, machine gun mm-hmm. um, from World War One and World War Two on a truck, um, <laughs> but this but this proves ineffective. They tried uh, to make because, the old school technical <laughs> because because the birds the birds are able to outrun them because of the terrain, and then because and because the terrain's so rough that they can't get a steady shot off with the uh, with the machine gun, so they're they're unable oh to aim effectively. God. What is this three stooges shit? Who are these people? 
They're the fucking birds. Kill them. What is this Three Stooges um, shit? So on, on November eighth, they they kind of they kind of call an end to the first part of the the emu war. Um, and, and at this point, twenty five hundred rounds of ammunition had been spent, and it's believed that anywhere from fifty to five hundred birds had been killed. Fifty to five hundred. And and <laughs> and funny enough, in in his report, Meredith reported that there were no casualties among his men. Oh, okay, okay. None of our boys oh. died. <laughs> Me- members of the uh, Australian House of Representatives um, begin to to sort of discuss the operation um, because of all the negative coverage that's been happening, um, and they there there are also claims that after all this work, you know, that only a few emus had died. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're withdrawn on that day, on the November eighth. Um, uh, Major Meredith later compared the emus to to the Zulus. He, he he to quote he said if we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds it would face any army in the world they can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks they are like zulus whom even dumb dumb bullets could not stop <laughs> what How they compare what, uh, the emus to zulus what what is yeah, it the zulu warriors what is a dumb dumb bullet if i might ask <laughs> it's a it's an exploding bullet okay oh my god this is this yeah, because like, like I'm embarrassed for Australia right now. Because because at this point, like the legendary sort of like native warriors, the Zulu. Yeah, yeah. So that's so that's why he he's comparing them to the Zulus because the British view them as like the one group that like really gave them a run for their money. Not like you know the Americans that kicked their fucking asses out of the colonies. Well, this is in the age of the machine gun. Still. <laughs> um. So the the farmers though they aren't happy and they ask again for support after the soon after the withdrawal, and the the Western Australian Premier James Mitchell um, he lends his support to these calls because again I I think he probably supports this as well because it, it just takes one more thing that he's responsible for off his plate, mm. like it's like we could give them subsidies or we could just have the government send the military back out here to shoot at some birds. <laughs> what a way to spend military's time and money. Um, and, and this was sort of helped because a local base commander, when writing up about the events, he had written that 300 emus had been killed in the coal. Once again, 300 emus when there's a population of 20,000. Um, on, on November 12th, um, Pierce ordered a resumption of the campaign, and Meredith was again deployed. Um, and this is due to him being one of the few experienced machine gun commanders in the state. So since he's the only one that really knows how to like lead a fire team, they they send him again. On, on from November thirteenth to December second, um, the soldiers claim to have killed approximately a hundred emus per week. That's pathetic. Um, on on December tenth, the coal is concluded, and Baradith claims that nine hundred and eighty six emus were killed at nine thousand eight hundred and sixty rounds spent. So, equaling out to about 10 rounds per kill. I was going to say, kill. yeah, they're, they're spending 10 bullets on one bird? That's and, a little bit nuts. Let me ask a question, and, though. How many of these emus lived to tell the tale, uh, <laughs> basically because the guy shooting at them didn't want to kill a bunch of birds? So you're, you're saying there was some situation where he, like, winged an emu, 
And then, like, the one guy, the one guy sees them before the other guys come over, and he's like, get on here. Get on out of here. Exactly. He's, like, shooting above the emu's head. Get on here. Yeah. yeah. As he's, like, as he's, like, crying, like, get on you. I'm always love you, I'm blinky. saying, like, if you shoot 9,000 rounds and you kill 90 birds, that's, uh, that's stormtrooper levels of accuracy. <laughs> it is. It is. It is too, like... I feel like this number is, like, very much fabricated because I think he realized that, like, because the numbers were so wild, wildly different from the first call, that he could just say whatever and it would just, like, be accepted. Mm-hmm. Just and, because people um, wanted the blood of emus. They didn't care. He he also claims that 2,500 birds died due to injuries, but but I'm not really sure what the metrics were for that, like, like how that was confirmed. What's the difference between an injury and a gunshot? Like, what the fuck? Well, I think he means like, you know, like if, if you he ever broke go his hunting, leg trying to run away from our machine guns, so I put one in his head. He died to injury. Like what? Well, well, it's like it was wounded and it ran off and then it died somewhere. I mean, it's never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I'm already These embarrassed the, enough the, for fuck. I'm already fucking embarrassed enough for Australia with this bullshit. The the nine hundred eighty six that I think those are ones that just like they just dropped dead like like they they died on like the immediate field of like being machine gunned. Gotcha, gotcha. Um. So after all this is done, in, in December nineteen thirty two, news of the coal um, reached the United Kingdom, and it brought a lot of uh, condemnation from conservationists. Of course, it did. Uh, many, several of them Australians. They 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 sort of decry this this sort of attempt to wipe out a, a bird. Uh, that that was just deemed like a nuisance, just because um, it, because people weren't finding an effective way to like keep them out. That's the exact definition of a fucking nuisance. Never mind. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but but throughout the thirties, um, pest exclusion fences became more available and common, so um, it decreases um, the impact of pests like emus and and rabbits on farms. Gotcha. When was electrified fences, or when were electrified fences invented? Uh, they probably, I, I believe they existed at this time in the United States, but I, I don't think you could really get them out in the middle of nowhere of Australia. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, the only thing you can really get in the middle of nowhere Australia is a fucking machine gun. <laughs> Mounted on the back of a fucking truck. <laughs> they just they just have sentry towers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't try to like bury landmines on these fuckers too. Jesus Christ. Um, the military assistance would be requested again in 1934, 1943, and 1948, um, but the government would turn down all of these requests, um, and they would continue to support a, a bounty system that had been implemented in 1923 on the birds. Right, oh, so we're not going to send any more military to help you because we're tired of getting made to look like assholes. We're not fucking assholes, so we'll just we'll give you a, a bounty system. We'll pay you to kill them. To give you an idea of how successful the bounty system was, 57,034 bounties were claimed over a six-month period in 1934. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. They totally just outclassed the military with their machine guns. Um, <laughs> after after World War II, a similar program would be used for soldier settlement, um, but it would be more successful um, largely from, from building off like what they learned from the first time around. Interesting. I, I hope they do. <laughs> and the emu still runs free. Apparently located here in Florida too. Steve, watch your back, man. And then we we just need some Dude, Steve, man. I need you to go out back. I need you to make like the emu like run and then you need to record it. 
And then you need to put, like, Born Free over the background of it. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. I saw them out there fighting one day, and it was not a pretty sight. The only thing that the emus will run from is the horse. Because the horse is so much bigger than the emu. And I will say, they they get up and go. Like, they're gone. You know, so, I mean, I, I could see it being hard to shoot them. Doesn't the dog play with the emu, too? No. Uh, the one dog tried to play with the emos and i think uh it learned a lesson <laughs> i'm pretty sure that get, like, the emu trampled? attacked definitely the emu attacked the older dog at, at one point definitely and, and then and then the one emu fight fought with the other emu the reason the one emu got out is because the emus were fighting and now this the one emu will only stay by this one side of the fence and i'll go over there and i'll just be sitting there and when they do this fucking thing, and this should tell you that you should not have emus, but you go to, like, get closer to them, and they, like, sashay away like drag queens. <laughs> yeah. they, like, like RuPaul. Like RuPaul. Sashay they're just, away. Like, mm-hmm. They just, like, walk away, and I'm like, what the fuck? Man, fuck you. Don't you no touch girl. me. Don't you touch me. No yeah. girl. <laughs> but my wife is, my wife's pet them several times. They're just, it's just not, it's too much work. You know, I could see, like... Doing that a few t- few times, and then finally just deciding, fuck it, we're going to shoot them with sh- machine guns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. I'm done. I, I think one of the reasons why the machine gun was not effective against the emu is because they look like they're a very fat-like animal. But they're not. It's a lot of plumage. Yeah, so I'm sure, like, bullets were just, like, going through, Yeah, and like, you'd have plumage. to be, and for machine guns, not super accurate. You know, and, especially back then, and you yeah, have they were to, probably just shooting all indiscriminately, just saying, "Oh, we just shoot some fucking bullets at it and kill it." And they got a neck that basically looks like a, you know, those mini soda cans, like the slim soda cans. It's like a, an extrusion of those. You know, it's about that's yeah. how thick it is, right? So I mean, you're not going to hit diet that with raspberry from, coke. You're not going to hit that with a bullet from 800 yards. You know, no, it's going to be rough. <laughs> Because anyway. if you look, if you look at the newsreel too, I feel kind of bad for the one guys because they they have one clip where the guys are, are holding the Lewis gun on their shoulders while they shoot it. Oh my god! Dude. What? And that just that that just seems like a lifetime of tinnitus and then infinite silence. <laughs> oh my god! I'm surprised they didn't just send like an air campaign over there to bomb the fucking birds. I was actually kind of expecting an air campaign at some point here too, Steve. Kind of let me down. But there's just some guy in a biplane. <laughs> yeah, just drop, just just he's got on. Yeah, he's got like the Red Baron like outfit on, and he just he's just dropping bombs out by hand. And then, then one of the emus like like ramps off something, like parkours off a off a rock or something, <laughs> and jumps onto the plane. I could see him like looking through the little bomb scope. And they see emus down on the ground with little helmets looking back up underneath AA guns. Just fire on. Wait a minute. Oh it my just God. it just turns into Jurassic Park. You know the guys like <laughs> he thinks he has the emu cornered, and then like the other emu like pops up behind him. You just sit there like ow, <laughs> <laughs> clever girl, <laughs> and they just peck to death. Ow, ow, stop that. Ow. Stop. No, stop. No. <laughs> oh my god. All right, so that's the great emu war. <laughs> this uh, this episode will be done um, in the next few weeks as I snippet all the recording together. We'll have this uploaded, hopefully before sometime before the new year. Adam. Yeah, we'll, we'll have it 
done, and then we'll we'll work on our next episode to ring in the new year. Yes, we'll y'all, motherfuckers, in the next decade. <laughs> All right. Hey, what what episode are we gonna it. do for the uh, uh, new year? Do we know yet? Mm, we'll figure it out. All right, we'll figure it out later. 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 So we wrote the Declaration of Independence in Mandarin, and you got to read it in French. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs>